Hi, and welcome to The Right Stuff. I'm the Queen Parker J. Thank you so much for joining me. We are going to have a phenomenal time as I talk to my returning guest co-host and contributor today, Lewis Smith. As most of you know, I love Lewis, but it has been a moment since he's been on the show. We first connected when he did a phenomenal job ripping apart the book, The Da Vinci Code. In response to that book, he wrote his own book, which started our journey and our conversations together. We both have the same publisher, Alexio Publishing. So we definitely want to give a shout out to Alexio for their support. And I want to thank Alexio personally because he sent flowers to me when my grandmother died on November 5th. Alexio, thank you for being so concerned and caring about your authors. We want to thank our corporate sponsor for their support, Christian Book Club. To find out how they can help you build your readership, go to christianbookclub.net. We also want to thank the members of our Patreon team for their support. We have been showcasing Christian authors worldwide for the past eight years, and as God gives us grace, we'll continue to do so. To find out how you can be a part of that mission, go to patreon.com slash write stuff and see how you can help out. And as always, we covet your prayers. My news release is available right now. It's called A Groom for Ruth which is part of the Blizzard Brides Mail Order Groom Series. That series has been doing absolutely phenomenal, and I hope you enjoy the story. I had such great responses to that book. I would love to know what you think about it. So go ahead and pick up your copy of A Groom for Ruth, available exclusively on Amazon.com. I'm going to introduce our guest co-host and contributor today, Lewis Smith. Lewis, how are you doing today? Doing great, Parker. It's a delight to be with you again. It, it has been a hot minute between pandemic and working on this new book and teaching school and everything else. Uh, it doesn't actually seem like it's been that long since the last time we hung out. Always a delight to be here. And not to mention your own YouTube channel that you have, that you do amateur archaeology with people and share things, which are always so interesting to see. We do have new listeners, Lewis. We have been showcasing in India, and India is growing as an audience, so they may not know who you are, as well as some of our other listeners. So go ahead and reintroduce yourself to us. All right. Well, my name is Lewis Smith. I'm a native Texan. I'm 57 years old. Uh, published, wrote my first book in 2012, published it in 2014. President Hamilton is my sixth published work. I wrote a trilogy of biblical thrillers, The Testimonium, Matthew's Autograph, and The Gnostic Library. President Hamilton is my first work of alternative history, and it has had the strongest opening of any of my books. I'm really excited for it uh, because it's something that reaches out for American history buffs as well as for uh, fans of the musical and people who are concerned with, with race and social justice in general. Uh, you know, it's something that, that just bridges a number of uh, interests. So uh, I'm hoping your audience will give it a chance and check it out. What I'm really excited for is your take on Hamilton. I can't wait to dig into that. Why historical fiction has always appealed to you? Well, I, I love history. I have taught American history for 30 years now. I've been a school teacher. I've been an adjunct instructor at community college. I've been a museum professional. And there's just so many lessons the past has to teach us, so, you know, both in American history and also uh, in biblical history, Roman history, uh, you know, there's lessons to be learned from every age because human nature is the one great constant. Technology may change, but in the end, people are people, whether they lived in the first century A.D. or in the early 1800s or in the 21st century. You said something I found rather profound is that human nature is constant. 
in and of itself, that's a oxymoron because human nature is volatile, erratic, benevolent, quite cruel. The society may change, but human nature doesn't. And this becomes extremely important as we delve into the person of Hamilton. Well, of course, the first thing people are going to say is, wait a minute, Hamilton was never president. And yeah, that's true. He was a tremendously important figure in American history. Uh, he was born in uh, the Caribbean uh, on the island of Nevis. He was orphaned at a pretty early age while his mother died. His father had already split and gone back to Scotland. And he pretty much rose up from nothing just by virtue of sheer brilliance. He got caught up in the American Revolution as a young soldier. For 20 years, he was Washington's uh, aide and confidant and, uh, you know, uh, just right-hand man is how the musical puts it, and that's about right. He was uh, pretty much chief of staff during the Revolutionary War. That title had not been invented yet, but he ran Washington's headquarters staff. He took part in the critical battle of Yorktown and played a leading role in securing the British surrender. From there, he went on. He was a delegate to the Constitutional Convention. He was the first Treasury Secretary. Alexander Hamilton did more than anyone except George Washington himself to get our new republic launched. He certainly put our economy on a sound footing. Ron Chernow, one of Hamilton's biographers, says that he is the closest thing to a prime minister that America ever had, the most influential cabinet officer in American history. And then after Washington died, uh, Hamilton was, uh, you know, he was on the outs. Uh, Jefferson's faction had gained control of the government. Hamilton was, uh, in a way, kind of a has-been. And he got into an ongoing political squabble with the vice president of the United States, Aaron Burr, who was a longtime rival of his. And finally, Burr challenged him to a duel. And it was in that duel on July 11, 1804, that Alexander Hamilton was fatally wounded. For 200 years, historians have wondered what kind of president might Hamilton have made. If he had had a chance uh, to run for the nation's highest office and achieve it, what might he have gotten done? The musicals created a huge renaissance of interest in Hamilton. Um, and as I was telling you earlier, I think it gets, it gets most of the facts right. It takes some artistic liberties, but more importantly, I think it captures who Hamilton was. And the fact that he was one of the few founders that was actually against slavery. Uh, there was a window of time early in our nation's history before slavery was so deeply entrenched as it was later become, could have been pulled up before the roots got as deep as they did, and maybe without tearing us in half as a nation. Four out of the five first presidents were Virginia slave owners. And by the 1820s, too many Southern states had joined the Union. Slavery had spread all the way across the Mississippi River. It was too late at that point. If someone had had the guts and the courage and the political skill to take that on earlier, 60 years before the Civil War, how differently things might have turned out. And so there were several things going through my head as I wrote this. Just a chance to give Hamilton his due. The musical was so popular that I really was curious to see how this book would be received. And I was astonished that nobody thought of this idea first. One prominent historian that I've read sometime, he did a two-page article for Vanity Fair magazine about 10 years ago called What If Burr Had Missed? He also projected that Hamilton would have become president and that Hamilton probably would have done something about slavery. Now, he also took a bit different tack on it than I did in terms of Hamilton's character. That was really the only thing out there. Jeff Willis, a friend of mine, uh, he did the book Alexander Hamilton's Guide to Life. He had just a little one-page note in his book called President Hamilton? Question mark. 
And he also posited that Hamilton might have done something about slavery and ultimately prevented the Civil War. I chose Hamilton as my protagonist because slavery was the one great task that the founders left undone, getting rid of this cancer on the American Republic. They kicked the can down the road, and I understand why they did it. They needed the cooperation of the southern states to get the Constitution ratified, and yet it had such a deadly cost. Most recent estimates say that the Civil War cost upwards of 700,000 American lives. Um, you know, demographers believe that we've actually lowballed it in the past. And it was so deadly and so, it just should have been unnecessary. And so having someone in place early on in our republic's history who could have forestalled that was kind of my cue for writing, if you will. I started my story with the duel between Hamilton and Burr at Weehawken, New Jersey in 1804. But in my timeline, it's Burr that is killed and Hamilton that lives, but he's wounded. And while he is hovering between life and death, he gets a vision of what is to come. And he sees the Civil War tearing America into. And so when he recovers, he decides, okay, it is time to do something. And so he relaunches his political career. Yes, he was a has-been, but he was a well-connected has-been who still had a political network, still had a lot of allies. So he started out to run for the Senate and then from the Senate to build a national organization to run for the presidency in the year 1808. And he wound up uh, facing off James Madison. And Madison was not a terribly strong political candidate. He won in 1808 mainly because the Federalist Party had lost its leader and because he had the backing of the tremendously popular Thomas Jefferson. I slid Hamilton in the White House in 1808 and worked it forward from there to a very tumultuous uh, presidency in which Hamilton sets forth his goal to stop the spread of slavery to any new territories and to try to persuade as many Southern states as he can to do away with the institution altogether. One of the things that makes Hamilton a candidate to do this is the man understood economics, uh, arguably better than anybody in the founding generation. His financial plan was a true work of genius. Even Jefferson, who was opposed to it once he got into the presidency, wound up leaving Hamilton's financial plan in place because it was flawless. He understood that slavery ultimately was not only immoral, but it was unprofitable. And he wanted to do what he could to show that to the South and show them that there was a better way to go. It's a very evocative plot, and I can tell that our listeners are going to be titillated. In the Compromise mm -hmm. of 1850, they were trying to get rid of slavery, such a massive cancer in the U.S. of A. It only delayed the Civil War, about 10 years. At this time, what was happening is that the South were going to succeed. They were like, we're here because we choose to be here. And the North's like, mm. no, we are the U.S. of A. I'm saying in my own vernacular, but we're the U.S. of A. It was very interesting how the politics of it came to be. If you had a man like Alexander Hamilton becoming president with this definite idea, it does make you wonder what would it have been like to have slavery in sooner and have all these what I would call secondary symptoms of it that have trickled down through time especially in 2020 with the George Floyd protest, and it bubbled up all this mess, and it brought a lot of conversation that possibly could have happened 200 years ago, okay, that, and we could probably exactly. be in a different place. 
I think people back in the day had more opportunity to be geniuses because they weren't distracted by pleasure like we are now, as opposed to being uh, connected to, to their faith, which is a big part of this too. The founding fathers in general, even though they were flawed, the faith was a huge part of it, as well as being busy working. I mean, they founded the U.S. of A. I mean, this is no, nothing to sniff your nose at. Let's talk about the founding fathers real quick before we get back to Hamilton, because he had access to these people. And so with Alexander Hamilton, what type of character would you describe him as if we were going to put him in today's society? Hamilton was very driven, very hyper-focused. Uh, there's been a lot of speculation. He may have been on the autism spectrum. He was a man who tended to inspire either passionate loyalty or passionate hatreds. It's kind of interesting working the other founding fathers in. Uh, now, of course, Washington died in 1799. So in my story, Washington is just a memory, except for one very vivid dream slash vision where he and Hamilton talk while Hamilton is lying, uh, you know, wounded and half dead from a uh, this duel that he's been engaged in. The thing about George Washington, he was a very astute judge of character. He trusted Hamilton, more so arguably than anyone else he worked with during his public career, starting in the revolution in 1776, all the way up through the end of his life. Hamilton was the man he came back to. I mean, Hamilton during the revolution, he was so in tune with Washington's way of thinking that he wrote letters under Washington's name and Washington didn't even have to read them. You know, he would tell Hamilton what he wanted said. Hamilton would write it. He would sign it. Even after Hamilton had left his cabinet, Washington still called on him to write the famous farewell address, which, uh, mm-hmm. oh, my favorite, favorite song in the musical, One Last Time, is a very vivid picture of that. Jefferson had a broader mind than Hamilton. He had a, a much broader grasp of things in general But in the somewhat narrower channel that Alexander's mind ran in, uh, he ran circles around Jefferson. And the thing is, Thomas Jefferson could be very two-faced, okay? Uh, But uh, on the other hand, uh, you know, when he was Secretary of State, he actively worked to undermine Washington on more than one occasion. And so as a result, uh, you know, Hamilton was the one Washington listened to when it came to, uh, you know, the assumption of state debts, when it came to the founding of the National Bank, the establishment of the first excise taxes, even in foreign affairs, which was supposed to be Jefferson's bailiwick, Washington was more likely to listen to Hamilton simply because Hamilton had a track record of being right. Early in the French Revolution, Hamilton was, uh, you know, Hamilton believed that the revolutionary French were a dangerous force, that they were attacking the very fabric of Western civilization. Jefferson was so enamored of the ideas of liberty the French Revolution was based on, he didn't see where it was going and and didn't realize how radical and extreme it had become. And I think history has borne Hamilton out. Uh, And really, in many ways, today, we are living in the country that Hamilton made because, you know, Jefferson envisioned this loose coalition of states with a lot of sovereignty remaining in the state's capital, uh, you know, with a, a very limited scope for the national government. Uh, and Hamilton's vision was much broader, much more pervasive and economically. Uh, and I highly recommend Nancy Spanos' book, Hamilton versus Wall Street. Uh, she makes the point that America's greatest prosperity has come when we have followed Hamiltonian ideas. Uh, Hamilton was dedicated to the idea of liberty, uh, but he also was dedicated to America being economically independent. 
Jefferson, on the other hand, was just absolutely convinced that Hamilton was a tool of the British and tried to paint him as a monarchist, which was a label that Alexander had to work very hard uh, to get rid of in his later life. And, uh, you know, one of the things about Hamilton and one of the reasons until Lin-Manuel Miranda's musical, Hamilton was the forgotten founder because for almost 100 years after his death, he was largely defined by his enemies. And their take was, yeah, Alexander Hamilton, financial genius, politically dangerous. He was a monarchist. He was a centrist. Uh, uh, you know, he wanted the government to be too big and too powerful. That really is, is kind of a misrepresentation. Um, uh, and it wasn't really the first really positive reassessment of Hamilton came 100 years after his death with Theodore Roosevelt. Uh, and then since then, in the 20th century, there's been an increased awareness of just how central he was to our country's founding. Uh, Ron Chernow wrote this brilliant biography, and then a well-known Broadway uh, producer and uh, playwright uh, read the biography on vacation and was like, you know what, this would make a great hip-hop musical, and thus Hamilton was born. I find it hilarious because uh, they were actually talking about taking Hamilton off of the $10 bill, and then the musical happened, and everybody's like, nope, not going to happen now. You don't have 10 million angry teenage girls storming the Treasury Department. <laughs> you know what's fascinating, too, is that here he is probably getting his just desserts hundreds of years later. But it lets us know that God does have a sense of humor, I think. You know, something humorous about mm-hmm. it. That, And even the way he's depicted in a very popular hip-hop <laughs> hip-hop thing you know it's not like this opera or something else it's a hip-hop young people would not have flopped to a hamilton opera you know i just heard of it coming out and making a big splash on broadway and i'd be in a bookstore doing a signing for one of my other books and i'd see some 16 year old girl walking out with ron chernow's 600 page biography of hamilton under her arm and that was like you know i i really kind of need to listen to this because uh this is what i teach and i'll say as a music teacher uh I, or as a history teacher, rather, my wife's the music teacher, <laughs> but uh, I actually partly dedicated my book to Lin-Manuel Miranda because he's gotten a whole generation turned on to the founding fathers again. And even if, you know, there's a lot of uh, misinformation and, and misdirected anger, still he's gotten people interested in that era once more. Uh, and that's what is exciting because, you know, once you have that interest, then you can go find out, okay, well, what was the real Hamilton like? One of the neat things in this journey, I wish I'd plugged into the, the quote-unquote Hamilton network sooner because I wrote the book almost in isolation, partly because I was afraid somebody else had the idea and I didn't want to finish it and then get it out there and say, oh, man, <laughs> here's somebody else, uh, you know, uh, with a President Hamilton novel. And I was so gratified when it wasn't there. But I've actually gotten to meet a couple of Hamilton's descendants, as well as some of the leading Hamilton scholars and historians. And, uh, yeah, I I have to give a shout-out. All right, so Rand Cholet was the founder of the Alexander Hamilton Awareness Society. And uh, my friend Mary Ann Hamilton, who is the widow of Alexander's great-grandson, incidentally, uh, she put me in touch with him. And he fell in love with the book. I sent him a digital copy. And then as soon as it was published, he bought four copies from me and I sent them to him. And uh, he just, uh, he thought it was so spot on as far as Hamilton's character and the kind of person he was and the kind of president he might've been. And he was actually planning on spending the whole month of August and maybe into September helping me promote the book. And the thing is, Rand knew 
everybody. I mean, he knew historians. He knew Lin-Manuel Miranda. He knew, uh, had just this enormous list of contacts. And uh, we had reached the point, even though we'd known each other for less than two months, we were talking on the phone almost every day. He wanted to know how all my signing events went. He was so excited for my work on this book. And then at the end of July, he died very suddenly of a heart attack. Um, mm-hmm. Just He went on vacation. He came home. I talked to him that night that he got back. He said, I've got a bunch of catching up to do. But he said, the whole month of August is going to be me pushing your book out there to the people who matter. And the next day, he passed away with a heart attack. And it was just, uh, it was a great loss uh, to the Hamilton community, uh, you know, and, uh, as well as just, man, had become a good friend. And I miss his voice on the phone. And, uh, and of course, it was also a tremendous loss just to me and getting this book out there. I've been trying to build a network of my own, but I just don't know all the people that he did. Well, at least he he had a chance to see what you were working with, and I don't think that it will come back to you fruitless, if anything. Maybe surprised at what's going on in the background, but I'm so glad that you had an opportunity for someone who really understood the message you were trying you're trying to promote, as well as a just a really creative way of picturing what life could be, and then just generating that interest in Americans America's early history which is really quite fascinating. You know, when you really think about what the founding fathers and their compadres did, it oh, they really were an is. they incredible bunch of men. What they Ram said he loved about the book was the fact that I left the founders in a better place than I, than I found them, so to speak. And, and that was the thing. I mean, uh, it was just so fun to kind of rewrite into a history that should have been, perhaps, or at least I think it should have been. And I felt like with everything that was going on, I started writing this book in February of 2019, and I, it took me about a year and a half to finish it. I finished it in the summer of 2020. And I just thought with everything going on, America could use a positive story. And that's really what I wanted to write, uh, something that shows, you know, even early on, there were people who thought we could be better than we subsequently became, and then writing a timeline where it actually worked out like that. And so uh, it's, a, it's a hopeful and optimistic story in many ways. And uh, that was what I wanted to write. I mean, there's, there's a, enough tragedy out there in real life. I wanted to give America... Uh, a happier future than the one we wound up having. And you know what? But even in those things, it works together because God is sovereign in everything, and he knows what he's doing, and he knows how things work, whether we get it or not. You know what I mean? And I was thinking about that because the founding fathers, what they did is go against a very powerful country. I mean, if you really understood what Britain Mm -hmm. was, I mean, this this is like they had their hands everywhere, okay? They had their hands everywhere. I mean, these this this wasn't a small thing. It wasn't a small thing. Oh, this, you know, that's what I said. What these men did, it was incredible. And a lot of people want to say nowadays there's this focus on making sure other stories are interwoven with these stories, which is great. No, there's no um, no problem there. Um, and that's valid, but sometimes we want, in order to do that, sometimes you seem like you have to demonize these people. And I don't think you have to demonize people as much as acknowledge that people are flawed. These were men who accomplished great things, uh, and they were products of the time in which they lived, and it was a different time from the time that we live in. It was, uh, you know, in many ways a worse time than the time we live in today. But at the same time, it's also 
you know, look at where they came from, what they had to work with, and everything they got done, and it's astonishing just how far they are. It was also kind of fun to go back, uh, you know, one of the most notorious feuds in American history was between John Adams and Alexander Hamilton. Uh, yes. Not to put too fine a point on it, Adams hated Hamilton. Right. And it's <laughs> funny because Adams and Jefferson have been rivals at one point, but in their old age, they reconciled and became friends again. And Hamilton died. He wasn't even 50 years old yet. And uh, Adams was very bitter against him at the time of his death and, and really had nothing nice to say about him from that point forward. But if John Adams could bury the hatchet with Thomas Jefferson and they could become friends again, I thought, wouldn't it be neat if Hamilton reached out to him? And honestly, I mean, politically, he needed New England. And to get New England, you've got to have John Adams in your corner. So that was a part of it. There was a political concern. But also, uh, you know, one thing about Hamilton, he tended to be very impulsive and sometimes said and did things, I mean, and, you know, for those who saw the musical, of course, the Reynolds pamphlet and then his pamphlet against Adams in 1800, those were impulsive things that came back to bite it. Uh, and having this brush with death that my story starts with humbled Hamilton a little bit. And also it gave him more focus and discipline. And the chapter where he goes and confronts John Adams and lays it on the table is probably my favorite part of the whole book. Uh, and it's kind of essential to what follows, but uh, it's a really neat chapter. Well, we've talked a lot about the book and just how it re- relates to what happened in America's past and to America's present and what it can mean for America's future as we begin to delve into our own history. So what I would love for you to do right now is just read an excerpt from President Hamilton so our listeners can get just a taste of this book. All right, here we go. This is from Chapter 10 of President Hamilton. No! An angry, raspy voice came clearly through the front door of the stately New England farmhouse known as Peacefield. John, I will not see that man. He is not welcome in my house. Hamilton stepped away from the door, having no desire to eavesdrop on the conversation between father and son. He had spent much of his first congressional session renewing his acquaintance with Massachusetts' two senators. Timothy Pickering was an old friend, a former member of George Washington's military family, and had always regarded Alex with great fondness, even when they occasionally disagreed on issues. The other senator was none other than John Adams' son, John Quincy Adams. He was a much harder person for Hamilton to get close to, given the stormy political history between Hamilton and his father, the second president. Hamilton had doubted that Adams would be able to prevail against Thomas Jefferson in the election of 1800, and so he had thrown his support to General Charles Pinckney of South Carolina instead. When the administration's press outlets had accused him of doing so for petty and personal reasons, Alex had written up a lengthy epistle outlining his reasons for doubting Adams' suitability for another term. It was this letter, published as a pamphlet under the title, A Letter from Alexander. Alexander Hamilton concerning the public conduct and character of John Adams Esquire, President of the United States, that had led to a final and complete break between him and the former president. In Adams' mind, it was Hamilton's treachery, not his own shortcomings, that had led to his defeat that fall, and he had never forgiven Alex for it. For his own part, Hamilton intensely regretted sending the letter, 
written at a time when he was still grieving the loss of his political mentor, George Washington, and fearful of the rise of Jefferson, whom he considered to be a dangerous radical. At that point, Adams had already shown contempt for him on more than one occasion, especially regarding Hamilton's rank and position in the army. Adams had let his wounded pride of personal rancor get the better of his political judgments. So now Alex had to make amends, if possible. He would need the Federalist Party united around him for the election in two years' time if he was to stand any chance at all of ascending to the White House. Federalism was still strongest in New England, and Adams was its elder statesman. To win the support of the region, he would need to follow the advice that still echoed in his mind from the vision he had had experienced two years before as he hovered near death to try Massachusetts first. Now, Adams had spent a good deal of the, or Alex, sorry, had spent a good deal of the congressional session trying to win the goodwill of John Quincy Adams, and had finally succeeded. Quincy was an odd man out. Officially, he was still considered a member of the Federalist Party, but he had come to side with the administration more and more often of late, especially since the New England Federalists had taken such an extremist tone in their opposition. Like Alexander, he was a strong nationalist and hostile to anyone who threatened to break up the Union over political squabbles. Now, Hamilton had known the younger Adams for many years, but only as a social acquaintance. Alex had high respect for the man's formidable intellect and broad education. The Massachusetts senator was fluent in six languages and deeply read in history, law, religion, and politics. Their conversations over dinner at the boarding house had been most enjoyable, constantly shifting from topic to topic. But Hamilton had made his purpose plain from the beginning. He wanted to mend fences with President Adams. I do not think it will work, Quincy told him when Alex first broached the subject. My father hates you, and he does not give up a grudge easily. I was listening to that excerpt, and for those of you listening, that was an excerpt from President Hamilton by Lewis, which is available on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. Now, what has the reader response been? Well, I've gotten really high marks. I mean, one of the cool things about this is I've met two of the Hamilton descendants, uh, Doug Hamilton of Ohio, uh, who I sent him the book early on just as a, you know, a, a Microsoft Word file. And he read it and liked it and wrote a nice introduction, which uh, uh, is actually in the book. And then Marianne Hamilton who is an absolute sweetheart of a lady. Also, several prominent Hamilton scholars and historians have weighed in and given it uh, a positive uh, uh, note. Uh, you can look on Amazon, and Rand left a review there before he died. Also, Marianne Owls, who's another leading Hamilton scholar, uh, Nancy Spanos, uh, Jeff Wilser's reading the book right now. I sent a signed copy to Lin-Manuel Miranda. I don't know if he's read it yet. I hope he will. Uh, it'd be really cool to get a shout out from him. Uh, but overall, the response to the book has been pretty positive. I mean, it's like everything. I've gotten a couple of negative reviews. But truthfully, I would rather have a thoughtful, well-written negative review that points out mistakes I may have made rather than just a mindless, oh, this was great, and that's it. You know, it's always nice to have thoughtful criticism, even if some of it stings a little bit. I agree with you there. There was a time when I didn't quite – have the stamina to handle constructive criticism, but over the years, as you do this thing called writing, you do have to toughen up your skin. So what I want to do to kind of end our conversation today is just show us the relevance of, you know, digging into our past and why, uh, why Alexander Hamilton is so relevant to our times nowadays. 
Well, I think his is such a uniquely American story. I mean, if you look at our founders, you know, Washington and Jefferson, Madison, they were Virginia aristocrats, you know, born to the manor, so to speak. Hamilton had to earn everything he ever got. You know, he made his way to the top just by virtue of sheer talent and brilliance. And it's just really neat. I love Jeff Wilser's book, uh, uh, Alexander Hamilton's Guide to Life. He draws a lot of practical life lessons and leadership lessons from Hamilton's uh, time. But, I mean, this guy, Hamilton at 14, uh, was so talented at uh, juggling numbers and figures that he was placed in charge of an entire shipping firm that owned about a dozen ships that traded back and forth between England, Africa, and the Caribbean. And he could name to the last item every bit of cargo, what they paid for it, what they could expect to get for it. And Nicholas Kruger, the company's owner, went to London on a buying trip and left a 14-year-old in charge of the company. And while he was gone, Hamilton fired the company's lawyer for embezzling (laughs) and admonished an experienced ship captain in a very stern letter bring the prop that was expected to. I want you to think long and hard about the disastrous voyage was just made. At 14, he was writing this to a 30-year-old sea captain. Wow. Uh, that is just, but you know, one of the lessons about Hamilton is act like you have authority even when you don't, and pretty soon you will. Uh, you know, he had guts. He had courage. He had a high level of integrity. Like I said, he wasn't perfect. Uh, He made some missteps along the way, but that makes his achievements all the more remarkable. And I'm really just not sure that Hamilton's story could have happened in any other country. And I think that's what Lin-Manuel Miranda saw in him. You know, this was an immigrant who came here with nothing and made good and rose to the pinnacles of power, became a hero, a scholar, a trusted counselor to presidents, a general, and so much more. It's fascinating that you mentioned about him being 14 because it reminds me of some of the things about Benjamin Franklin and how astute he was at a young age as well. And, uh, of mm-hmm. course, he came to, you know, the light during um, Nicholas Cage's uh, National Treasure, you know, and, uh, and I love oh, yeah. National Treasure. I love National Treasure. You know, it made learning about history fun again. But I'm so glad you mentioned that. And it lets us know that we can do things, that we, we're capable of being just as great even if it's maybe not be on a national scale, because so many people think in order to be great, I have to be on a national scale. Everyone has to know my name. And that's not necessarily the case. It's just being known in your community. It's being known in your family and being able to make an, a, a change there. So I think we can also gain something from that story as well. Well, Lewis, I do have your social media outlets, but go ahead. Just tell us the one where people can get to you quickest probably the easiest way to get to me is just through facebook uh my uh, author page uh, the link is provided below i try to respond to all messages uh you know pretty much as soon as i get them or at least the same day uh you can also follow me on twitter and instagram where my account is being hacked uh, sorry about that uh <laughs> but uh and also the personal author webpage and a really neat little blog where I publish uh, my thoughts on different things as well as bits of short fiction that I write. Uh, and so I welcome your followers to just log on and check out all of them and uh, check out President Hamilton. Uh, you know, Christmas is coming up and there's a lot of Hamilton fans out there that this will be the perfect Christmas present for them. 
Lewis, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being with me on the show today. And I can't wait to have you back and have you back sooner than, than before. So thank you so All much. All right. I, I want to do the President's Day show with you. I think that oh, we have to do that. Fun. That is going to be a ton of fun. For our listeners out there, the President's Day show is where he is going to share with us little known facts about the men who have run this country okay so it's going to be exciting we're going to do it for 2022 um we're going to do that and i can't wait to do it i can't wait to do it. it's going to be so much fun but lewis thank you for that suggestion you'll be back soon and to our listeners out there i hope you were encouraged by what we were talking about today so many of us wonder if we have purpose so many of us think i am brilliant but no one knows it maybe no one knows but what are you doing to make an impact in your sphere of influence If you look back through time, Alexander Hamilton made a huge impact in his time, and you can do that too. You can do that with simply the ink that God gave you in your soul. So go ahead, pick up the pen, and write stuff. Thank you so much for joining me for this edition of The Right Stuff. I'm the Queen Parker J, and you have a wonderful, absolutely glorious, blessed day. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.